Well, as I mentioned, uh, our pastor is out of town today, but fortunately at CLC, we have a deep bench. And today you're going to hear from somebody who is a physician. She is a singer. She's a painter and she is a writer. She is a Renaissance woman. So give a warm CLC welcome to jo Dr. Jocelyn Jerriam. Good morning, City Life Church. Oh, that's good. Um, I have the amazing privilege to speak to you all this morning. I'm so humbled by our pastor's invitation. Um, I serve here with my husband, Prithop, uh, as a deacon or a deaconess, as I like to be called. No, just kidding. Um, you don't have to call me that. Uh, and uh, as Elder Scott, um, that was a really sweet introduction. I'm aspiring for half of those things. Um, but I did train, my background is in medicine. I am a physician. And I never went to Bible school, and I wasn't taught in seminary. So whatever you see and hear today, I pray that you know this is God's gift. Um, and I pray that I can truly be a vessel for him. <clears throat> so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to start off in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, we love you. We thank you so much for what you're about to do, how you come after us, and how you love us. I pray that as I speak, you speak, not just in words, but in the heart. And I thank you already for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. A lot of men's announcements. So I got a question for you all. Where are my independent women at? All my women who are independent. You didn't think you'd hear Destiny's Child this morning. Welcome to my first and maybe last sermon at City Life Church. <laughs> oh, our culture really, really emphasizes independence, doesn't it? We got to be independent women. I'm an independent woman. I don't need a man. You see the shoes on my feet? I bought it. Right? We value men that are strong. We don't call them independent men. We call them strong men. We assume they're independent. Independence is valued in our culture. When we think of independence, we think of strength, boldness, freedom, ability, and being satisfied. And then on the opposite end, we devalue dependence. Now that's weakness. That's being enslaved. That's being unsatisfied. And so what I pray happens today is that God may redefine what dependence looks like on him. 
I was given the awesome, amazing opportunity to share with you in the series of John, chapter 7. And the full passage is from 37 to 52. I'm going to break it up into two parts. Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I had the amazing opportunity to go to Jerusalem this past spring, and uh, I studied under an amazing, awesome Bible teacher. He's going to come next month, I believe, R.A. Bar-David. But R.A. messed me up. The one thing he taught was to read the Bible slowly. And so I, here I am preparing for the sermon, and I'm getting caught up on that first line on the last and greatest day of the festival. What are we talking about? John uses every word with intention. So if he's talking about context, that context has to be important. I did the homework for you guys. It's back in Leviticus. He's talking about the festivals of tabernacles. And it says in Leviticus how to, how to celebrate it. Verse 42, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt... I am the Lord, your God. This is a festival of remembrance. They didn't have museums back then. So they built them, headed down to Jerusalem, slept in tents to remember their forefathers when they slept in tents. And the one thing, I think, after seven days of study and seven days of remembrance from the Israelites leaving Egypt, one of the biggest takeaways you're going to find is that these people were thirsty. Three times in the Bible, it's discussed that the Israelites were thirsty. I won't read you all the passages, but they're there. 
I feel anytime God puts a story in the Bible multiple times, he's trying to get our attention. It reminds me of when I was little. I grew up in an immigrant family. My father was the disciplinarian, so he only had to say things once. But my mom, she hung out with us. She played with us. And so I'd be playing and mom would tell me, hey, go clean your room. I'd be like, okay, mom, sure, I'll do that. She'd come out, still be playing, and she'd be like, hey, I told you, go clean your room. Oh, mom, sorry. I'm going to do that. She'd come back the third time. And this time, she'd have what we call in our language a buddy, a wooden spoon. I'm not going to tell you again, go clean your room. That was it. When God tells us something in three times, we need to pay attention. The stories go the same way every time, almost. I'll kind of help you through it. There was a need for water. And then the Israelites had a desire, which was their thirst. Now, when I go back and read about the Israelites, I often read with like very low compassion for these people. God got you out of Egypt, separated the Red Sea, plagues and destroyed Pharaoh. You guys are complaining again? Are you kidding me? But as I read these three stories, my compassion for the Israelites started growing. You see, each time, the story gives you context too. These people were in the desert, in the Middle East, and it's hot, and they're thirsty. Aren't they the chosen people? Why are they thirsty? The need was real. And then there came their response. A complaint. And their response really shows you how they felt about God. Let's go deeper into it. In one of the stories in Exodus 17, verse 2, it describes it like this. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us 
and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to God, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Here we are in the desert. You're God's chosen people. Your kids are complaining of thirst. Your clothes are sticking to you. Your livestock, they're hardly walking. And you remember a time back in Egypt where the Nile was. And you didn't need God for water. I want to go back to that. Where I didn't need God. And maybe it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was raised from the dead. He hasn't come back yet. And I'm still walking through life. And I'm still in debt. Or I'm still single. Or my parents are sick. Or I'm still stuck in this dead-end job. I'm thirsty. Moses cried out to God, their leader. And I love how God answers. Each time, he answers miraculously. What an amazing God we serve. Because if I was God, and I had done all this for this pe these people, and then they complained again, I'd be like, no, you do it. I'm done with you. God's not like that. He answers miraculously. Twice, he provides river, uh, river from a rock. So I had to um, Google how to find water in the wilderness. I've never been camping. Like I told you, my father immigrated here from India. And uh, when I was a kid with my brother, we wanted to go camping. All the other kids were doing it. And so we're like, Dad, Dad, like, please, let's go camping. And he's like, OK, tell me. Tell me, what is this camping? <laughs> we're like, well, we want you to go buy a tent. And we want to go outside. And we want to sleep there. And he's like, no. I didn't leave India. Come to the United States for you to have a better life so that I can buy you a tent and have you sleep outside. No, my children will not be camping. <laughs> so here I am preparing for this sermon, Googling how to find water in the wilderness. But apparently there are ways. If you look for an oasis, there's always water. Or if you find um, cacti and you open them, there's sometimes water. And God could have easily done that. He could have easily told the Israelites, work for it. There's water, 
Moses, tell the Israelites to walk just a little bit more. There'll be water. Or go search for the cacti, and there'll be water. But he doesn't do that. He answers miraculously. Here the Israelites are, celebrating the Festival of Tabernacles, remembering these stories, and Jesus so poignantly stands up and says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will flow within them. My friends, are you thirsty? The next part of the passage starts at verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can, this be the, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Why didn't the Pharisees want to believe in Jesus? I mean, really? They couldn't find out that he was born in Bethlehem? Is that hard? I don't believe that. Let's not forget the time. You see, the Jews were living in oppression under Roman rule. Sure, they were allowed religious freedom, but what freedom? They couldn't get together in large numbers. They were oppressed in their finances. They were treated cruelly. The Roman soldiers could do whatever, whenever they wanted. You see, the Pharisees knew that there was a problem. The people were getting oppressed. Jesus, do you even care? Because <laughs> it's nice that that blind man can see, great. And awesome for that guy who can walk again, 
But maybe you didn't notice that we're living in oppression. But Jesus did notice. He did care. So you see, but the people were living in a much greater oppression. I recently watched Tony Robbins' I'm Not Your Guru on Netflix. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with Tony Robbins. He's like this encouraging speaker, uses a lot of psychology. And so like hundreds of people come to his conferences and one by one they stand up and tell Tony their problems. And they'll be like, Tony, I keep getting myself in debt. I can't break the cycle of debt. And, and Tony looks like he's listening to their problem, but he asks a question, what was your father like? And a light bulb goes up and you're like, yes, it was from my childhood. And my father couldn't figure out money. And they cry and they feel like the problem has been identified. And another one stands up, Tony, I'm on my third marriage. I can't figure it out. And Tony's like, tell me about your mom. And they cry. They're like, yes, my mom and my childhood. He's not wrong. I think a lot of our problems go back but he stopped too short. See, because, yeah, we have a childhood and we have parents, but our parents have a childhood and they have parents. And those parents had a childhood and they had parents. And messed up goes way back. <laughs> way back to the first man and woman. You see, the creation story and the fall, it's not about fruit. It's about independence. You see, the serpent tempted them to believe, do you really need God? Do you really need a God to tell you what's good and what's evil? Don't you want to be independent? Don't you want to be independent? And so they thought that would be a good idea. And so came a rebellion. So when Jesus looked at his people, he had to deal with the oppression that comes with the rebellion before he could deal with the oppression that came from the Romans. And my friends, he did. Oh, he dealt with it. He came into this world he lived the life that you and I could not live. He died on the cross. That was a choice he made. 
And then he rose again. And he rose again. Miraculously, he rose again. And you see, he offers that life-resurrecting power to us. Are you thirsty? I think I'm, I'm talking to two sets of people this morning. <clears throat> One set of you that you haven't really accepted Jesus Christ as your savior because you don't need a savior. You tried living more morally, maybe by other religions or maybe even by Christian Christianity, the religious kind, trying to be good, and you, you fail. Or maybe you're like, okay, that's cool. I'll do the religious thing, and I'll think about God after I get that job or after I get married because th that's my real problem. Or maybe you got that job, and you got the marriage or the answer to your prayer, and you're still searching for something. And I'm also talking to another set of people this morning. Those of you that know Jesus, but man, you got problems. And I can't focus, Jesus, because I keep, I keep going through these cycles. And I'm trying to deal with debt, and I'm trying to deal with brokenness, and I'm trying to deal with singleness. And my life is just a mess. Where are you, Jesus? Do you even care, Jesus? God flips the script on us. See, before when there was a need and then there was a thirst and there was a complaint and they had to go to Moses, God now is asking you, are you thirsty? I love how Paul writes it in Galatians 5, verse 19. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Out of trying to be independent, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, anyone here knock on wood? Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. Am I talking to anyone? A brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit, habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. My friends, are you thirsty? 
But what happens when we live God's way? The story doesn't end. Verse 22, he brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Miraculous. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, peace. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Are you thirsty? It reminds me of my childhood. I have a really great mom, and I was a pretty bratty kid. And I don't drink carbonated drinks. Okay, I still don't. Um, <clears throat> and this was a problem in the 80s and 90s, because, guys, at that time, there was no bottled water. Okay? <laughs> No bottled water. I know, crazy. And so my mom had to think about me, especially, and she would fill a canister of water, but that's never going to get me through. We would drive from Long Island, where I grew up, to Michigan, where my uncle was, and long journey, and so she had to think about it. And my siblings, they would be so happy at McDonald's, you know, and they would have their big sodas and drinking. And my, my mom would go out of her way and, and tell my dad, hey, ask the drive through guy uh, for a cup of water. Or if they couldn't do that, she would flatten out the soda so that I would drink it. She was always thinking about me. And before I could even feel the need, my mom would ask me, Hey, baby, are you thirsty? Guys, I have a great mom. We have a greater God. We have a greater God, and he cares for you, and he sees you, and he's asking you, are you thirsty? I love you. Dependence on God. You see, your needs are real, and your thirst, it's real. It reminds me of when newborns are born, and they need mom, right? They get thirsty. They cry, milk. Thirsty, cry, milk, thirsty, cry, milk. Any moms of newborns are like, this is going to last forever. But it doesn't last forever. Because when they're also getting that milk, they're also getting comfort and love. Because when they get older and they don't need mom for milk anymore, but they skin their knee, who do they go to? Mom, mom, 
See, God wants us to run with every need and every thirst to him, and he'll answer you. Until every need and every thirst is for him. How awesome. How awesome. So, dependence is no longer weak. It's no longer timid, enslaved, unable, unsatisfied. No, a dependence on God looks much, much different. See, dependence leads to strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, my power perfected in weakness. Dependence is bold. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. Dependence is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Dependence is able. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, and dependence, it's satisfied. Rivers of living water. I'd like to bring up the last verse of the chapter that Pastor Chris so prophetically left out. Verse 53. And it says, and then they all went home. Don't go home today. Don't go home thirsty. We have awesome prayer partners up here with rivers of living water and we're ready to ask for you you don't know Jesus you want to get to know him come pray for you you know him but you're thirsty come we want to pray for you go home. Please stand with me as I pray and the worship team comes out. I'd like to invite all the prayer partners up to the front. We'll pray as we worship. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your presence and your rivers of water that are able I thank you that you care, that we're thirsty. I thank you that you so love us. I pray for your people, and I pray for miraculous things to happen. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.